Hello everyone and welcome to Rajhat, the first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 38. My name is Naaman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Evening everyone. A big thank you to our last guest Julia McCrossin who talks about her experience with head and neck cancer, uh, coping with the head and neck mask and her work around raising awareness. If you haven't had a chance yet please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Sarah Newman, who will be discussing her experience of cervical cancer and her personal training business for cancer patients called Get Me Back. Um, hi, Sarah. Hello. So, Sarah, um, please can you tell us a bit about yourself and if you feel comfortable your experiences of cancer. Sure. So um, I'm Sarah. I am now 37, 38 this year. Um, I'm a cancer and exercise specialist, um, but this wasn't always my job. Um, I was unfortunately diagnosed with cervical cancer in pregnancy when I was 34, so in 2018. Um, they found my cancer at 19 weeks pregnant. So I was halfway through my second pregnancy and I have a son who at the time was only three. And um, I'd have been experiencing symptoms, kind of bleeding and um, general, just very regular periods for some time. But because I just, well, I'd had a child three years before, I don't know, I never really, I didn't dig any further into it. I think maybe if I hadn't got pregnant when I did fall pregnant with my second child, I probably would have had it investigated. Um, but fell pregnant, my period stopped, but I was still getting kind of breakthrough bleeding, what I thought, you know, was was quite normal. Um, and I visited A&E a few times, which is where they take you through an early pregnancy. Um, and then as kind of the stages went on and my pregnancy got later and later, as I kept bleeding through my pregnancy, um, I started going into the antenatal clinics and they were looking and they couldn't see or they didn't see anything that they thought was different um, until I got to 19 weeks and I turned up and eventually somebody found the five and a half centimeter tumor that I had on my cervix. Um, and so it all happened very quickly. Um, within a week um, from going into hospital and then doing a biopsy of the tumour, I knew something wasn't right, but they kept me holding on for about a week. I went for my 20-week scan and unfortunately, immediately after that, was taken into a room and told that I had cancer. Um, they didn't know at that point how far advanced it was because um, they hadn't done any scans. So uh, in pregnancy, I was allowed to have an MRI. Um, although I did get some quite weird looks from the radiographers. Um, but they were happy for me to to have the MRI to check the size of the tumour and to see whether it had spread anywhere. And a few days later, they had given me the results to say that as far as they understood, it hadn't gone any further. Um, but they would only be able to do any further scans like a PET-CT if I wasn't pregnant. <clears throat> so um, they came up with a, a plan um, and the plan was to try and continue the pregnancy um, so that I could access radiotherapy, which was ultimately the, the curative treatment for the cancer. And I would have to have chemotherapy during pregnancy um, to maintain the size of the cancer to try and keep it at bay and not allow it to spread any further. Um, but as I kind of got deeper and deeper into the information and speaking to different doctors, I don't, it wasn't that straightforward. There were lots of risks involved. Um, the, the chemotherapy might not work. The cancer could spread further to my bowel, to my bladder, um, and it could become much more advanced than it already was. I was very lucky in that it was a very bulky tumour. Um, 
but it was still staged at the latest stage one. So um, they knew that I was kind of, because of my pregnancy, obviously my pelvis had expanded and I think I was quite lucky that it hadn't gone any further. And so I spoke to lots of different people and got lots of different opinions. And in the end, I had two opposing views um, and two op opposing kind of almost like a choice to make was that I either continued with my pregnancy, risked my health and life and um, hoped that the chemotherapy would keep the cancer at bay or I terminated the pregnancy and accessed the radiotherapy in combination with chemotherapy um, to uh, cure the cancer. And so we spent a long time trying to decide what was best. Um, and we went through numbers with oncologists, you know, how many rounds of chemotherapy I would realistically have to have. Um, and I think normally in a cervical cancer diagnosis, it's somewhere between five and eight or something. And that's weekly. And then you combine that with daily radiotherapy. Um, they were talking about having 24 rounds of chemotherapy before I delivered baby and then after having more and then radiotherapy. Um, so I kind of spoke to lots of different people. I knew that there was a massive cardiac risk for having that much chemotherapy. So I was a bit worried about my heart health and heart attacks and things like that. And also I had my son at home who I just kept looking at and feeling so guilty. Um, and it was a completely impossible decision. There was never going to be a win situation. Um, and we made the heartbreaking decision to, to terminate. And it was the hardest thing that I've a we as a couple have ever had to do. Um, and it wasn't just as straightforward as saying, right, end my pregnancy. I gave birth to my little boy who was born alive at 20, nearly 23 weeks um, and lived a very short time um, and then unfortunately passed away. But we knew ultimately that that was going to happen um, at that early stage um, of birth. And so um, from then on, it was straight into chemotherapy, literally four days after giving birth. And I did four weeks of chemo until they were able to start my radiotherapy because my uterus was still quite large. So they had to wait for it to shrink down. Um, and I think probably the first week was just to keep me um, reassured that I'd made the right decision because they did replan and then did more targeted radiotherapy from then on once my uterus was much smaller. Um, so from that stage on, I think that was around about um, mid-June, I started my chemo. I did nine rounds of chemotherapy and then they added in my radiotherapy from week five or four or five. And then they finished my treatment with three rounds of brachytherapy, which is, as you know, the internal radiotherapy. Um, so that was weekly um, just to, to finish me off as I um but by that point I was pretty poorly so um it was a brutal treatment um process and it was very short um but it physically completely destroyed me and emotionally I was going to say with a cancer diagnosis I mean that's difficult enough but going through what you did for the pregnancy side of things I suppose with four days afterwards as well did you have time to process what was going on uh no and it's still you know three four years down the line I see a counsellor regularly who helps me manage my um emotions and the kind of more mental side of it I think without her I probably wouldn't be as of sound mind as I am now um she was with me right from the beginning and she helped me just deal with the initial anxiety and 
the pain and the grief um, because it was so overwhelming. And if I'm totally honest, I think the cancer itself was actually a bit of a distraction from um, the the grief that we were feeling at that time. I remember sitting in the chemotherapy suite planning Jacob's funeral and that was just horrible. Um, But it was, you know, at least I was with people all the time and, you know, people were there to reassure me and, and it wasn't until treatment ended, I suppose, where the processing really began and the hard work started to try and rebuild everything physically and mentally. Um, and, you know, my counsellor was a big part of that and definitely something that I, you know, kind of credit to her to the support she has provided me and still provides me. Sarah, did you find that the healthcare professionals that saw you throughout both your pregnancy and through the cancer diagnosis, diagnosis were supportive of you? Or, or did you find that actually they didn't come across this a lot and actually for them it was difficult it was did you get that sense when you were going through it or did you find that actually you had adequate support I think the support of the healthcare professionals generally was incredible they whizzed me through scans um I was prioritized and I was seen really really quickly um I think the difficulty was is that we ultimately had to make the decision and all of the data in pregnant women, I mean, there's not very much, is not enough to make a a decision like you might do with thousands of patients and studies that demonstrate, you know, efficacy of treatments. Um, and you're kind of comparing yourself to a population that are more pregnant, less pregnant, more advanced cancer, less advanced. There is no one single person that was like me. And that's what I desperately wanted to find and I still have never found is somebody who was at the same stage of pregnancy same same stage of cancer and and could you know was I making a stupid decision because I just you know this was someone's life um and it was completely impossible and the team were amazing they were answering emails through the weekend at night um but ultimately it was our decision and that was the hardest part. I wish someone could have just told me what to do, but obviously that you can't do that. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Cause I can imagine how heartbreaking it is every time you have to relive that experience in terms of kind of the support that you access. Now you mentioned the counseling. Is there anything else in terms of kind of the rehabilitation that you experienced after everything that you went through? Um, So mentally, I have had amazing support. Um, I was very lucky in the hospital I was treated at. They um, transferred me to the teenage and young adult unit, even though I was in my 30s. Um, They called me an OAP, but um, I accepted that. So I had like my own private room, um, which meant that I had calm. I didn't have to start, um, you know, talking to people in the chemotherapy suite, which was quite a traumatic thing because I just wasn't ready to face anyone. Um, and so I had that kind of private care. And then within that, um, the teenage and young adult, adult unit had a counsellor. They had wellbeing services. And so the support was just so amazing. And there's still, you know, there are social events where you get to talk to other people who are in a similar situation. Um, but just in terms of the rehab side of things, I mean, I suppose that's where I started to use exercise. Um, and it probably wasn't so I finished my treatment in August 
and I try to do as much as I can and if if I'd known that actually if I pushed myself a bit harder I wouldn't have been doing damage I would have done more um but it wasn't until about October time where I really started to get back into doing some exercise because I loved exercise it was my control um it was kind of my freedom I love being outside um running cycling anything that meant that I could be you know in the rain and the wind and the sun and the snow and everything um but it just made you feel alive and so I joined um an exercise group class with a lady who I knew did a lot of um postnatal fitness so I thought you know we're given that I've had pelvic health issues she would be a perfect person but obviously with that comes babies um and so it was never the right environment for me she was a fantastic trainer um and I was outside which was my ideal situation and it took me a long time to build up my strength um but I saw it improve very quickly and I saw my um my stamina improve and sometimes I'd have to still have those days in bed but they were getting fewer and fewer um, and I could see the uh, benefits that exercise was having on my recovery. But because I was in that environment that just didn't feel right, I was surrounded by mums who were talking about babies. It just wasn't, it didn't feel comfortable. And that wasn't their fault. You know, they had to get on with their lives. Um, but it made me realise, because I started Googling, you know, is there some such thing as this kind of cancer and exercise person who could help me? Um, and there, there was a qualification that you could do to get there. And I thought, wow, well, I've got maternity leave for the next six months. I think we just had a power cut. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a first on podcast. <laughs> Storm Francis is causing all these issues. <laughs> wow, it's really dark in here. <laughs> um, Your complexion still looks really good, thanks, Sarah. Thanks, <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I started looking into these qualifications. And I thought, actually, do you know what? I've got a science degree. I love exercise. Um, I want to be using exercise for more, not medical purposes, but for medical benefits um, and looking at a person not from a, an aesthetic point of view, looking at a person to um, help them live longer, to help their joints be stronger. You know, I wanted to use exercise um, to really help people get themselves you know in control of their body and feel good about themselves um so i i started taking my qualifications while i was off as i was recovering and um just became i say just it's still a decent qualification became a pt a personal trainer and then with the view of knowing that i was going to go on and um focus just on solely on cancer patients um and so i started working um, with generalised people who wanted to get fit, but people who wanted to get fit for medical reasons more so than aesthetic reasons, and just kept doing my qualifications and just kept going through that first year and qualified as a cancer and exercise specialist. Um, and it is literally the best job in the world. I would never, ever go back to working in PR, which is what I did before. And it's it's really interesting, isn't it, that actually you're helping and supporting so many cancer patients now and obviously it's something that you felt you needed to do but you weren't necessarily advised by anyone um and obviously I think things are starting to change and I certainly know from kind of Naaman and I's experience 
things are working more now to ensure that prehabilitation and rehabilitation features much more heavily within kind of the integrated pathway and the cancer pathway that patients go through but it's really interesting that it's only as a result of you going on google and looking for some help and support that you kind of have identified that do you find now that you know people are still having those experiences so the clients that you're seeing are they still having to do that where they're kind of googling help and support whilst they're going through cancer treatment so people um i'm finding a real mixture most people are just not getting that support beyond a physio and sometimes not even a physio um so i kind of work at the next stage of um a physio so the physio will just go for the initial recovery or the prehab and then i support people to get stronger beyond that um and i'm seeing actually a few clients more and more getting proper physio exercises to prepare for radiotherapy but very few and you know especially in breast cancer where you're sitting in quite like a an awkward position if you've had any surgery to your chest and you're trying to get your arms above your head it's really limiting um so it's it's so important um and i i think you know for for you know radiographers like yourself to support people in preparing for treatment like that and then continuing those exercises after radiotherapy where the you know the tissue and the skin is damaged and it still needs you know people still want to have good posture and stand straight and hold themselves strong and um so yeah i think prehab is is really important and it it's not being done there's not enough of it I know you um you touched on some of the side effects kind of you experienced through chemotherapy, radiotherapy and brachytherapy. Do you think that if you'd had that kind of prehab support earlier on, maybe some of the side effects may not have been as severe? Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, I stayed relatively fit through my pregnancy. Um and uh I tried to to run at least as far as I could. Um, whilst I was still quite in, you know, late later stages of the pregnancy that I experienced. Um, I think if I'd known more now, I would have exercised through my treatment. Um, the diagnosis happened so quickly, it just, there wasn't enough time. Um, but through my treatment, a 20 minute walk, you know, pushing myself um, with somebody by my side, because I was feeling a little bit dizzy and unsteady on my feet, but making sure that I got out and did that walk because treatments particularly radiotherapy can make you feel really fatigued and exercise really is probably one of the only and best treatment for cancer related fatigue Um, and it feels really counterintuitive because you feel so terrible but yet this is going to give you so much more energy so being able to push yourself to a point where you can do enough you don't hit a wall but you can, you want to exercise to to tolerate it, to feel energized, um, not to feel completely exhausted. So small amounts of exercise during treatment is really, really helpful for reducing your treatment side effects. And I think, yeah, definitely, if I'd known that, I would have done a lot more. So you talked about, obviously, your clients and your work. Um, I should probably say it's called Get Me Back. Do you want to say a little bit more about the actual company itself? <laughs> yeah, so um, Get Me Back was the business that I started. Actually, almost, I worked it out four years ago uh, to this day, I think to the end of this week. So um, it just came to me one time, probably when I was out walking or doing something exercise related. And it's not just about 
people going back to where they were pre-cancer because I think most people who've had cancer know that that is not where you won't necessarily want to go back post-cancer but it's there to support people to feel in control of their bodies even if it's just for a short amount of time it's just that 30 minutes out a day where they are doing something to benefit themselves um, and you know they've got all of these treatments around them they have zero control over and this is the one thing that they can do to really support themselves um, and this is not necessarily about creating your pre-cancer body it's about rebuilding and respect respecting a body that's been through some pretty traumatic things and knowing and feeling confident in um, rebuilding it and helping it feel strong um, and thrive really through through treatment and post-treatment um, so it's it's um it's what exercise did for me, basically. It got me back to to life, um, mentally and physically. And um, I work with clients face-to-face -face and online. Um, when I work with them face-to-face, -face, and actually even some of my online clients, I work outside because I just see the huge benefits of being in the great outdoors. And this was all pre-COVID. Um, this lady that I worked with when I was getting over cancer, she was outside. We worked through snow, we worked through rain sunshine and it was amazing um so I wanted to give that back to people as well um and I've got this am amazing kind of field which backs onto National Trust Woodland it's really quiet it's really private and it's just a safe space for people to come and exercise um not feel like they're being watched by loads of people in the park um and uh, it's just really special so um that's kind of what Get Me Back was created for. So Sarah, what can kind of patients do to help get themselves ready for treatment or make themselves feel a bit better? Are there any specific exercises you think they should be doing? I think it's mainly the weightlifting and um, the benefits of resistance and strength training. So um, there's there's a big fear of lymphedema in particularly breast cancer um, patients, where you know you can't carry too heavy a shopping, you can't lift a kettle. You, you can't lift things and yes to a certain extent you need to be careful post-surgery um, in those initial weeks but strength training has actually been shown to have really good benefits on those who've already developed lymphedema and preventative measures on those who haven't or are, are at risk and weight and resistance training does need to be progressed nice and slowly it needs to be done in the right way and using the right exercises, but it's hugely beneficial during treatment as well. Um, there are some studies that have come out that actually showed that patients had less fatigue, less side effects if they were strength training as well as doing cardiovascular fitness, so walking and running and cycling, um, because it just helped them, you know, metabolize the treatment faster, get rid of the toxins, and therefore, you know, they, they were feeling better in themselves but also in men and women who experience a hormone-driven cancer and who are then, the hormones are then suppressed, they are put at more risk of things like osteoporosis and they need to be doing strength training to keep their joints and bones strong. Um, so I think there is an old, older view of strength training um, that you know, you're know you gonna lift weights and give yourself lymphedema. That's not the case if it's done properly. And actually it can be hugely beneficial for people who have had a cancer diagnosis. And there's actually lots of research around exercise before chemotherapy as well. 
So even sort of just walking to your chemotherapy appointment, there are some studies looking into how actually your side effects might be a little bit less exactly for those reasons. It's just so many benefits of it. There's one guy who cycled through his chemotherapy, like actually when he was having chemotherapy, you know, IV drip, he was on his bike whilst he was doing it. And I think the Marsden has exercise bikes that you can actually ask for to, while you're in your room having your chemos, to sit on a bike um, and exercise. But I don't think that's communicated enough is that actually some of this equipment is already readily available in hospitals, but you just need to know about it. Yeah, I didn't know about the um, the exercise bike. I've only ever seen an exercise bike in the hospital when you can um, you put fruit in it and then uh, you end up um, getting a juice out of it at the end. They usually have them in concourses and stuff to get people into exercise at hospitals. <laughs> Love it. Um, <laughs> But I suppose, you know, you've talked on quite a few of the benefits. I think with sort of more specifically for the treatment you had, there is a thing around sort of pelvic radiation disease, isn't there? And there are lots of, so you touch on pelvic floor exercises, but exercises that can be done for kind of hip and bone density around that area. Um, just for anyone who's listening, um, you might be going through a similar pathway. Do you mind just talking about that a little bit? Sure. Um, so that's one area that I noticed was quite um, painful if I did too much was just this kind of, really deep ache in my hips um, and in my pelvis and I always had quite bad back problems before I had cancer I grew very quickly I'm quite tall um, and I realized that my glutes in my bum basically were quite weak and that's quite um, a normal thing for anyone who hasn't had cancer you know if you're sat down for a long time you can get quite weak glutes which are really massive supporting muscle through lots of different functional movement um, so for me having had the radiation to the pelvis I work a lot with resistance bands or booty bands um, around the knees so literally just pushing against the resistance with the legs to strengthen the glutes and strengthen the side of the hips um, I don't do things like planks too soon um, I took it very slowly with progressing my core based exercises to try and build up my deep core muscles first rather than just kind of doing loads of sit-ups to get the superficial muscles on top um, and making sure my breathing when I'm exercising and lifting or doing anything from everyday movement was correct so that my diaphragm and pelvic floor were working in sync and so that my brain knew that you know if I was to get up from a chair the effort is where I would exhale and that in turn helps me engage my core muscles um so just learning and retraining your brain to activate certain muscles while you're exercising can really help your whole body communicate a lot better and as you say like pelvic floor is such a key muscle in your core um that you need to make sure you're using it effectively even to to lift something up you think you're just doing something quite straightforward or standing up from a chair and you don't realize how involved your core and your pelvic floor can be within that move so yeah I've very slowly progressed my weight I do lift quite a lot of um, weight in a deadlift now and in a squat um, so I use weighted barbells um, but it's taken me four years to get to that point and if I push myself too far I can feel a, a bit of strain so I have to just take, take a step back and just listen to the body and then rebuild again and it you know progress isn't always linear it's kind of you know you make some progress then you have to stay at that level for a little bit and you might have a little bit of a dip if you have illness or tiredness or fatigue and then you can rebuild again and so sometimes you have to take a couple of steps back to move forward um, and I think I use the opportunity 
of being so physically um, deconditioned to rebuild myself right from the inside out and gave myself an opportunity to not have back problems anymore, which I don't, um, to make sure that my posture was better. So I was strengthening the right muscles to help me stand up straighter and, and then making sure that I was trying to strengthen all of the areas, particularly my pelvis, where I would had have had radiotherapy um, so that I can do things that I love, like running. Um, and I don't push myself to run more than about five or 10K, um, but I still love doing it. So it's really important to me. Yeah, and you talked about running. Um, you're an ambassador for 5K Away um, one, as well, one of my favourite charities. And I know you were, well, we're recording this, but last night you were at an awards uh, ceremony because you were nominated for an award as well for your 5K Away volunteering. Yeah, so um, we have local sports awards and it's a really nice um, local event. And I was nominated for volunteer of the year my, me and my um, colleague Mike, who I um, run the 5K away in Rygate with, and it's such a great um, initiative. Tagged on to to Park Run on the last Saturday of every month, and we basically we walk the route mainly. Some people come and run it, um, but we like to kind of tail walk it, and it just gives people the opportunity to know that actually they they can do it, and they've got the support of other people around them who can do, you know, one or two laps, depending on how they're feeling with them. Um, and you can have a bit of a chat about cancer or about life or about whatever you want. Um, but there's always tea and cake at the end as well. So um, that makes it really worthwhile. Tea and cake is very important at the end, I think. You've got to lead with that, <laughs> just for anyone listening. <laughs> I'd definitely run more if there was tea and cake at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask, because you're obviously a hugely passionate patient advocate, you do so much voluntary work, as well as obviously the work with the business you do, and you're supporting a Mummy's Star t-shirt. So do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of Mummy's Star and, and why you're, you're kind of passionate about working with that charity? Yeah, um, they were a charity who we spoke to right at the beginning, probably within like a day or two of diagnosis. And I think I Googled cancer in pregnancy and they were the first people that came up. Um, we had Pete on the phone, the founder, um, within a couple of hours of contacting them. And he just talked us through, you know, what they did, but also made sure that we'd ask all the questions that we needed to ask. Um, and there was no bias against decisions that we needed to make. He just told us that he would be there to support us emotionally financially however we needed that support um and they have been such a huge support for us across the years pete and i still talk quite a lot um i write blogs for them to try and raise awareness of um baby loss um after cancer and pregnancy um it was a side of probably the charity that they hadn't they weren't so familiar with um, so it's the side that they've now grown the support for, which is absolutely fantastic. They have Facebook groups that support women from both sides, you know, that have, have been able to go on and continue with their pregnancy and those that haven't. Um, and so they have counsellors and um, people that you can talk to at any point um, during the year. And they have kind of clinics that you can drop into and just speak to people. And they touch base with me regularly, you know, every single month. They know where my difficult days are. So where Jacob's birthday is um, 
and where my due date was and they were absolutely they've always been amazing so they've been a huge support to me and they support families within a year of birth as well because I know there's been um a little bit more probably in the media I don't know whether it's because I follow certain people but who have picked up their cancer when they're breastfeeding for example so within that first year of diagnosis and mummy starts can still support people then you know just with childcare during hospital appointments um or you know overnight stays if it's too much to go home and come back and they're just a fantastic charity and they're the only charity really in the UK that support cancer and pregnancy amazing and we do have Pete actually going to come on the podcast and talk about mummy star but it is it is brilliant for you know our audience who are maybe healthcare professionals to know about it as a charity because again if people aren't necessarily wanting to go on the internet and do their own research then making sure that you have healthcare professionals who know of external charity that can help you is really important isn't it and it does sound like it's an amazing charity to support people who were in a similar situation to yourself Um, and having someone who understands what it is that you're going through and the decisions that you're having to make and like you said you know that one of the first things you would typically do is try and find someone who's in a similar situation to just go to for advice and help and support so um yeah an amazing charity amazing charity so we're we're really lucky to have Pete come on and hopefully talk to us in the next couple of months um so Sarah we could probably talk all night about everything that you do um to help and support cancer patients um but I would love to ask you what do we need to change as healthcare professionals and and I'm not just talking about us as therapeutic radiographers or diagnostic radiographers you know what do allied health professions nurses doctors need to do to kind of help support patients within any pathway um with kind of exercise um and supporting people in being prepared adequately physically and mentally for treatment you know what what would you advise that we need to go away and do some continual professional development on or go away and do some reading on or even go to get me back website which is amazing by the way <laughs> some really good youtube like amazing youtube links and actually i have to say when i was um, going through it i thought it would be perfect resource to send to patients to show them your exercises around how to kind of rehabilitate patients after surgery to get them into that radiotherapy position because you do get patients who get to us for radiotherapy treatment and unfortunately can't get that position and we don't want to necessarily have to delay their treatment or send them um, for a physio referral so having a resource like that that patients can get sent is perfect um, from our perspective and maybe that's something that we need to kind of go away and do some more research about and make sure that patients know that those resources exist yeah and i i think it really depends where you're where you're finding that patient along their journey it might be that they are primarily having radiotherapy or they've had surgery and so i think post-surgery um there tends to need to be a little bit of recovery time around six to eight weeks and the surgeon has to sign the patient off to exercise but during that time a physiotherapy physiotherapist should be working with them to support them to ensure that they've got mobility in the area that has been affected by the surgery. Um, I think it's really important that there there is some kind of information for patients to prepare for radiotherapy, to understand the position that they're going to be in, um, so that they know 
you know, where they, where their arms need to be or where their legs need to be able to get to. Um, I just had major abdominal surgery um, and then was expected to lie flat. And it was really difficult for me to get up. So my core strength was very weak. Unfortunately, in my situation, it wasn't something that I probably could have worked on at that point. But, um, you know, just little bits of exercise to prepare you for getting on and off that table um, and prepare you post treatment. For example, if you've had surgery, there's some great videos out there for people who are having mastectomies or breast surgery. If, you know, things in high cupboards, just moving them down to lower cupboards in preparation for post-surgery because it's, it's not somewhere you're going to be able to reach and if that if you're living on your own for example you need to make sure that all your essentials are low low down um the other thing i would say is if you're preparing for treatment so you haven't had any yet imagine you're preparing for a marathon or you know a half marathon or something you wouldn't go into a half marathon with no fitness you would be training and I'd say prepare as much as you can. I mean, these diagnoses come out of nowhere in most cases. But even if it's just for a week, just get yourself out there walking, doing some really simple exercises to help strengthen your joints, because it will help you recover faster from that surgery um, and help you get back on your feet doing things that you want to do quicker. And um, in terms of chemotherapy, I would say as soon as you have sign off, if you've had surgery pre-chemotherapy, just get walking 20 minutes a day or if you're even starting at five minutes increase it by a minute each day it's going to feel like it's the hardest thing you've done but it will really really help with your side effects and then if you can get hold of cancer and exercise specialists like myself they can help you through a more strength based program strength and resistance based program and that doesn't mean you know big barbells and scary dumbbells it you know we can do simple things with resistance bands um with with bean tins you don't need expensive equipment at home um i work with a lady over in gibraltar and i've got her you know lifting light bean tins to help improve her upper body strength um but there's so much that you can find at home lockdown was amazing for being creative when it came to workouts. I have used coffee tables, broomsticks, pairs of tights, towels as slam ropes and things like that and slam balls. Um, you know, you can literally use anything around the house um, if you think about it hard enough. So I'd say just just keep pushing the exercise message. Exercise is is, you know, it's the fourth treatment active treatment um for cancer i know there are more than that but you you know what i mean it should be part of a cancer treatment program um from beginning and then continuing after treatment finishes there are um obviously lots of cancer specialists um around and i know that there are some nhs and local authority um cancer specialists available as well um so i know for some patients who may be worrying thinking oh i can't i can't have access to sarah um what am i going to do there are obviously other alternatives as well that people can hopefully access in their local area there is um a a, a clinical trial clinical trial a trial going on at the moment um which is called safe fit um and it is run by the can rehab trust and they are still recruiting as far as I'm aware. And that is a virtual um, wellbeing service where you're offered um, access to somebody like myself um, through online video or even a telephone call if you can't access um, video calling. 
and um, you can have six months worth of support for nutrition um, and exercise to help you work through your treatment or post your treat post treatment. Um, it's something that I was involved with right at the beginning, um, but haven't been able to to do since. But it is an absolutely great program. So um, and it's free. Obviously, you just self refer yourself um, if you look for search safe fit on Google. Yeah, perfect. And we'll make sure we link it with the podcast as well. Thank you very much, um, Sarah, for sharing your story with us and all the top tips um, for everyone listening. Um, and th- thank you to everyone for listening to Rad Chat. Um, so your hosts today have been Naaman Jill Anderson and Joe McNamara. Um, head over to our YouTube page to see a live recording of this podcast. Um, if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted um, along with the links and resources to literature uh, we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked to the podcast. Uh, our next guest to feature will be Joral Shah, who will be discussing her experience with breast cancer, nutrition during cancer and equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, so thank you everyone for listening and take care.